Beyond Belief Sobriety is a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, and thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking with LaDawn, who shares her story of recovery, which involves starting a YouTube channel, a channel that focuses on lifestyle, sobriety, family, mental health, fashion, beauty, secular beliefs, spirituality, and all things funny. She's got a great story, and I think you're going to enjoy this episode. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. Each and every person in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for recovery. Maybe it's a husband, wife, daughter, son, mom, dad, best friend, colleague, job, hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On Beyond Belief Sobriety, our mission includes building a strong community, staying connected, and working to break the stigma. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink. To expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com slash BBS. And now episode 280, LaDon did it for real. LaDon, how you doing? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. This is one of my favorite things to do. I'm having a cup of coffee here, and I got a friend in recovery who I can talk to. And you can't beat that with anything. Yes, cannot. (laughs) I have water myself. We're right on track. Yes. You know, um, I love your YouTube channel. I'm going to read the description from it because I love this. This is is the description of your YouTube channel. you describe, this is how you describe it. Okay. Lifestyle, sobriety, family, mental health, fashion, beauty, secular beliefs, spirituality, and all things funny. I'm not here for nonsense, misinformation, slander, or drama. <laughs> this is a peaceful place for peaceful people. We will learn, live, laugh, and love each other genuinely. I'm not in here to fight with strangers about irrelevant things that don't pay me or put food on my table. Let's have fun and grow together. Peace be with you all. I love that. I I share that sentiment. I don't fight and argue with anyone. It's just not worth it. Why do I why why do that? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of trolls on YouTube. So you can have the most positive channel. You can be doing the biggest kumbaya. It's still gonna be someone that tries to nitpick at you. So I make it very clear that I'm not doing it. I'm just gonna block you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we had that on our live stream. I think it was just, yeah, the last live stream that we did. I don't know if you caught that, but there was that guy who came on from Brazil. And he was asking these really weird questions. And I think I think he was actually trolling us. Someone told me later that, that that's what he was doing. He was just trying to mess with, mess, with, mess with us. So I had no idea. Sometimes I don't know what they're doing. I'm just like, you seem strange, but. Yeah. A lot of times if it's off like, off like that, I would usually just block them because if you're trying to like with most, when I do my lives, I try to communicate and it does derail the conversation. So yeah, I use block them. If they don't seem right or make sense, I kind of just like, okay, yeah, I'm blocking. <laughs> I do that too. And it's so nice and easy to do. <laughs> I wish you could do that in real yes. life sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I definitely agree. So let's get to know you. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit of your recovery story and we'll just let a conversation flow from there. There's probably something you're going to say that's going, that I'm going to be able to relate to, or I might want to have a question. So I will interrupt you and heckle you as you share your story. Would you mind doing that? Yeah, no problem. Okay. So, um, my sobriety day is August 9th, 2020. Um, so I just celebrated two years of sobriety yesterday. 
Thank you. I um, I had drank like for 25 years. I was exposed to alcohol at a very young age. Um, I was, I think, like I remember back as close as four to five. You know, growing up and the environment I was in, oh, it was let them have a sip, you know, give them a sip. You gonna hurt them, but for me, I liked it, so I always asked for it. Um, which now I look back like that was definitely a warning sign because little kids, like if you try to give them a sip or they got the wrong cup mistakenly, they're like, no, I don't like that. You know, that's nasty. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a, um, a pretty unstable household. Actually, my mom was a single mom. She had um, four children, three boys, one girl, and I am the youngest. And like when I say youngest, um, it's like a significant age difference. Like with my the brother that's closest to me in age is still like, I want to say seven or eight years. So, yeah. So like um, <laughs> I saw a lot and dealt with a lot because they were so much older than me. Um, and my brothers was into everything and anything that had something to do with streets. And that's primarily because of how we were brought up. Um, my household, it was a lot of partying, a lot of drinking, a lot of <laughs> other stuff. I mean, any and everything was going on. Um, and a lot of it wasn't my mom's fault because she worked a lot, but she did do a lot of partying. Now, she was not an alcoholic, but she had you know, a couple of friends that were, and my biological father is an alcoholic. He's in recovery now, but okay. So the first time I actually took like a real drink, I was nine years old. I was playing with my friends. My mother, um, she had like a China cabinet and in her China cabinet, she kept a few drinks that her and her best friend liked to drink. So my mother liked to drink vodka. And so, of course, being her kid and knowing that's what she liked to drink, I convinced my friend, I'm like, hey, let's go have a drink. And so we, uh, I took a cup and I poured some in there and I was like, okay, so she's going to know that we drank. So we took the water back in it to fill it back up to the spot. And we, we, she tried to drink some, she just couldn't. And I just took it back like a shot and was like, okay, I'll drink all of it. I remember being tipsy, but I didn't get drunk that time. Um, there were a lot of things that continued to happen during that time frame. I am a, um, I am a victim of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. So, of, um, those things kind of molded me to like, by the time I was 12 years old, I was like blackout drinking and things have started getting really bad because my mom suffered from mental illness. And as she got older and as I got older, it got worse. Yeah. And it's funny because like I didn't remember it as a younger kid up until now when I got sober, I started to remember episodes and certain things that she did that didn't make sense. Um, she didn't really raise me up until I maybe got to like 10. I started staying home more, but I was always gone. Whether it was my aunt's house, um, she had a couple of friends' houses that she thought she could trust that she would let me go over. But it was it was not a good situation. And so um, around 10, she started keeping me And I want to say around 11 years old, my best, who was not my best friend, she got a hold of my diary and she read some things that she's like, you need to tell your mom. Yeah. And so I did tell my mom and she took every, she did everything within her power that she could do to try to help me because my mother was illiterate. She didn't have no more than a fifth grade education on mental illness. And I say today, I was just telling my friend this, um, I think that when my mother found out that I had been abused, it really shut her down because like she started going like into the hospital for weeks at a time. She wasn't barely at home. She was having like serious episodes. She was very suicidal. And I had to deal with a lot of that by myself. So um, that I started my first time drinking for real. Where I got drunk, I was um, 12 years old, blackout drunk. I remember waking up the next day. This was before she um, found out that about the abuse. And I said this because she's like, you're just like your dad. And it confused me because I knew my stepdad, he didn't like drink a lot. So when she was when she said that I was confused, um, 
I didn't find out till later why she said that. And so I did start drinking. And I mean, I was drinking every chance I could get. Like if I can find somebody to go to the store and get it, if um, it was laying around and I can get a hold to it, like I was really taking money. And not only did I start drinking, I was smoking cigarettes too. And I'm, I'm like every chance I could get. And my mother, she started going in and out of the hospital after the abuse situation. And so it just, it made me easy. It made it easier for me at 13, 14 years old. I was paying the bills in the house. I was like really taking on the role and being responsible the home. A lot of times for her mental health needs, I was making sure she went to the doctors and different things like that, as well as trying to go to school and maintain things for myself. And so I just remember at about 14, I remember just going through so many things and, um, I couldn't quite get anything to drink around this. And I just remember feeling really bad. And I was going through a lot. Me and my cousin had got into it and I attempted suicide. And I just remember being frustrated because I could not drink. Like I just wanted to drink to get away from those feelings. And I couldn't. And then me getting into it, my cousin, I, I was just like, okay, this is it. I'm done. You know, I wanted to check out because it was so overwhelming to balance all of these things. Is that when you were 12? That was when I was 14. 14, gotcha. Okay. Yes, I was 14 um, when all of that happened. Right after that, again, I had another sexual abuse uh, situation. It wasn't with anyone close. Um, And so I remember after that, I started drinking again. And I mean, like, like, at that point, I had control over the money our money that was the income that was coming in. So my allowance, I definitely was spending up on alcohol. Um, I did try recreational drugs, but that was not my thing. Even as a young, I, I remember faking (laughs) when it came to like doing certain things. Like I remember faking, like I did it. And because I was drinking, I was still getting the same effect, but no one was really noticing that I wasn't doing particular things. It's just, we're all, you know, getting high and getting drunk. So no one noticed it, but I always just prefer drinking alcohol. And shortly after that episode with the sexual, the second sexual abuse, basically I was raped. I was brutally raped on at, my mother was in the hospital when that happened. My aunt was staying with us from Pennsylvania and, um, I remember after that, I went home and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. And I ended up to my aunt later because I needed to go to the hospital because I wasn't feeling good. And when I had to tell her, I just remember I just started drinking. Every chance I get, like I said, I, I was handling the finances. So I was spending a lot of money on alcohol. My mother didn't understand what was going on because I was smart enough to still make sure the bills was paid. And, you know, I wasn't um, like depleting the bank accounts or anything. I stopped going to school. Um, I was in and out of school a lot, going to different like school programs and different things. Because my, like I said, my mom did try to help when she was able to, but she was unavailable more times than she was available. And that I felt lonely. You know, I didn't understand a lot of things. I knew what had happened. I knew what was presented to me. And I remember I used to say when I got about 16 years old and at that point I had to drink every day. I used to tell people I have to drink to go to sleep, you know, because I, that's to me, that's what I couldn't sleep. So I drink in order to go to sleep and or just to cope or I just at that point I was just drinking every day and I couldn't I would go through like many sets of withdrawals. Like now that I look back at it. Like when I couldn't drink, I would be just like, am I depressed? It's a lot. And so it was still, my mom was still in and out the hospital with still a lot of things going on. Um, I was dating. I started dating at 12 and I was like very sexual because of the things that happened to me. And drinking didn't make it any better. You know, it only pushes you far there. I made a lot of mistakes with that. Um, so I ended up, you know, finishing school. I did finish school. I got my GD. I started college and I wanted to be a nurse. So I started going to school to be a nurse. I ended up getting pregnant with my oldest daughter. 
I stopped going to school. I was still pregnant, but I didn't totally quit drinking. And I didn't understand. Like it was, I knew I wasn't supposed to. And I tried to get help. And I went through bouts without it. But looking back, I wasn't supposed to drink, you know, but I didn't understand that I had a problem. And no one understood that. Um, AA was presented later on in my life uh, when my dad got sober. But at that time, like growing up in an inner city in a poverty area, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, Everybody was just like drunk Uncle John, drunk Sue, or they were on drugs and you usually feed them and have them lay down, you know, or, you know, they're going to come and need two, three dollars to get their pint of wine. Um, and you knew they were troubled, but I was, my mother was agnostic, but everybody, oh, you know, they'll say they need, they need to, need to go to Jesus. You know, it was never, um, go get help. The help was the church or, you know, um, so it was a lot of that, you know, and I do have an uncle that I found out when I got sober from my cousin that he did go to AA when, because he worked for the city, but it did work. I didn't know back then, but I know when she told me, like, you know, he had went, we were young, but it didn't work. So he ended up losing a city job over time. So outside of that, and that wasn't presented as he kept it a secret, we didn't know anything about like AA or sobriety or different programs like that. It was all go to church. Um, my mother didn't believe in church. Um, she was an atheist, but she didn't believe in like religion. So it was kind of just like a free for all, you know, in my environment. Um, so I have had uncles that was alcoholics. I have cousins that's a little older than me. That's alcoholics. My father, you know, was an alcoholic. Um, and everyone that I, they agreed to that. They know they have a problem. I, I remember I used to say that I wasn't, I didn't have a drinking problem because I'm a female and all the alcoholics in my family were men. Interesting. Yes. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's funny because when I've said that, I've had people say, well, no, that's not true. How do you know? As far as back my history going to my grandmother and her siblings, none of the women had drinking issues. My grandmother did not have drinking issues. She had mental illness issues. Okay. My mom and my aunts, her sisters, did drinking issues. My cousins do not have drinking like I have what two two female cousins that drink randomly. I have three that don't drink at all. I am the only female that drank. So and you just equated it with men. Yes, 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 yes. It it was so funny because like even now when I have said it, I've had people question it. So moving right along. So I did. I drank um, a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I started to stop in school. Um, I was able to get jobs, but not always able to keep them. I have a long work history, but I have a lot of experience. I like to tell people that um, I moved out on my own when I was 23. Uh, I just couldn't take it no more. And the guy I was with at that time, he was just like, OK, we're going to get you out this house. We thought maybe that was why I was so stressed, the, the mental illness, the depression, because of the suicide attempt at 14, of course. I didn't have a history of depression and anxiety. Um, in my mind, I equated all of my issues to depression and anxiety. I had knew about the sexual experiences and the physical and um, you weren't thinking about the, you weren't thinking about the trauma, the the past trauma. Sometimes, but I had start, I had got to the point where I had just washed my hands on those things. Um, because I did have bouts where I was going to therapy. I did learn a lot of stuff as far as self-help things go. And I knew ultimately, I remember my therapist telling me before I stopped going to therapy is in order for you to heal from your trauma, you have to forgive the other person. So I fake forgave the people, <laughs> you know, in my mind, I washed my hands of it. So it was kind of just like, I'm I'm depressed now, you know, this is making me depressed or this and so that's why I equated my drinking issues because feeling this way, I'm depressed, you know, um, 
I remember when I had decided to go back to nursing school in 2012, no, 2013, I'm sorry. I called my dad because at this point he had, he was in early recovery at this point. He quit drinking when my, my, um, right after I had my oldest daughter who's 17 now. So she was eight at the time. And I said, I'm like, Dad, you know, I've been really depressed. I think I'm going to go to the doctor. I need to figure out what's going on. And he was like, okay, go to the doctor and tell him what's going on. He's like, if you think you got a drinking problem, tell your doctor first. So I had to go to the doctor. They sent me to a place called Recovery Resources. So I did IOP. And it was for dual diagnosis. And at that time, when I was telling the lady in my intake, I'm like, you know, I was telling her what was going on. And she then mentioned to me, you sound bipolar. And you do have a substance abuse problem so that I was dual diagnosed. I wasn't officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but that was the first time it was mentioned. And I was like, no, that's not what it is. This is what it is. But of course, they couldn't get a true diagnosis because I was always drinking Um, and I would stop and start medication. And I can tell you, if I go back a little bit, there were several times I ended up in a hospital. Fortunately, I could say each time, that I was in a hospital or had a bad experience, my do- my oldest daughter was not home. She spent a lot of time with my mom and my her dad's mom because I was working a lot. So they raised her for the most part. But yeah, I- I've been in a hospital. I've been sedated. <laughs> I've been on a stretcher. Um, and end up coming home later and, and just like recuperate for a day or so. And then I'm back at it again. And so this was like getting close to one of those experiences. And I was like, I can't do that again. I had just started nursing school for the third time. And I just knew I couldn't do that again. And I was doing an IOP. And you know, IOP, you got to go to meetings. And that's a requirement, but they don't specify. They just say, go to meetings, go to recovery meetings. So I was going to a lot of different meetings. I cannot tell you today what was happening in any of those meetings. I was just there. People were talking. I was sitting there like, okay, I can't wait to go smoke a cigarette. And Oh, they got free coffee because I'm tired because I'm in school during the day. And then I'm doing IOP in the evenings. I remember going to one place on the west side of people, the west side of Cleveland, and the people were really nice. That's it. And then I remember going last meeting. And the last time I had went to one of the uh, sessions through IOP because I did not finish. It's a women's um, center here and you can live there and get sober and bring your children in. Um, And I remember sitting there. I'm in my scrubs from nursing school. I have a home I'm maintaining. I'm sitting there with these women who are pretty much homeless living in this place. They're doing these meetings. And I sat and I said, I'm not like these people. You know, I have my kids. I am not in a system. I have a job. I'm in nursing school, getting ready to graduate soon. I have everything. I'm not like them. But I was. I was in so much denial. And that denial, on top of being a female, they said, no, that's a man's problem in my family. You know, because in nursing school, I'm learning about alcohol addiction, but it's still because. Only the men in my family are like that. I ended up getting pregnant in nursing school. I did graduate, and I and this time around, I drank heavily. Um, and I knew it was wrong, but I just I couldn't stop. I could not, no matter how much I tried. So I can manage. I could go maybe a month or so, but it was calling me. <laughs> and when I and people was like, "How can you say that?" Because no one really looked at it as I had a problem because I did a lot of it in private. Right. I did a lot of Sometimes we can be really good at hiding it. Yes, yes. I I was never, like, I had a few blackouts when I was younger, but I had got a hold on that. I did have a few episodes, and that was mostly medicine-related, but I was, for the most part, able to, to get a hold on handling myself. And I prided myself on that. So even throughout my pregnancy, I finished school. I'm like, you know, I just like having a drink, you know, not realizing that sometimes I'm sitting up drinking a pint. And and it was bad. I did stop drinking around the time 
that I was getting late in my pregnancy. I want to say like eight months, I stopped drinking and I was starting to get prepared for the baby to come, which is now my eight year old daughter. Um, so I had her and I had, when I got, I think I went a month without drinking because I wanted to breastfeed. I think I went a strong month and then I was back at it. I was back drinking. I am, I managed to pump and dump and do all those things to try to finagle so I could still breastfeed, but still be able to have drinks, you know? And then after a while I was like, no, I I can't do this. So she went on the bottle. I continued drinking and I was up and running again. My mom had a stroke um, the summer three, I had my daughter and that was a very hard situation for me. And so I couldn't draw some breath. Um, dealing with all of that, I ended up having to take care of her for a while. Then my dad, who I, my stepdad, ended up finding out he had cancer. He, he was a very much older gentleman. And I was taking care of both of them in a the home. So I'm taking care of her and him. Now I'm back taking care of her after I had got free. <laughs> and then I had my baby. Plus my older, my daughter, older daughter. And so I'm taking care of everyone. And I really don't remember a lot of that. I remember being drunk a lot. I remember being able to manage those things. But I just also look back and I just was in so much, like mentally, I was just so bad. I was so bad. I, um, I really didn't know how to function. I was very quiet a lot of times. The only time I really did interact was when I was drinking more. So my kids, I had the responsibility, but anything else, like you wasn't getting much out of me. Like as far as my outside friends or whatever, I wasn't working because I had just had the baby. And so that was a bad time. And that time right there from that point on is it, I just, it was so bad. I, um, I ended up going to work. My mom ended up going home and things were still kind of uh, rough for me. I was still drinking, but at this point I had started working. I'm a new grad. So I'm controlling my drinking at this point. I'm just going to have a couple of glasses of wine or I like beer. I'm, a, I'm drinking other stuff, but I had, I was a daily beer drinker. And so I was like, okay, well, instead of drinking this amount, I'm just going to drink one tall uh, double deuce twins bottle. And and then have one glass of wine. And yeah, that only works for a little bit of time. Um, I want to say I ended up moving and I moved uh, in 2016. And three months after I moved, my dad died, my stepdad died. And that was very rough for me. And so I was literally at that point, I was drinking liquor every day. It wasn't no tapering. It wasn't no trying to control it. I was drinking liquor every day. It was a lot of drama going on with my my uh, stepsisters. It was a lot going on in that situation. And I remember at one point I stopped drinking liquor every day. So here I'm back to just drinking beer and drinking stuff like they have this thing called Montebello. It's like a store version of Long Island iced tea. Or I was drinking like Arbor Mist. So I'm saying I'm going to have some wine and I drink a whole bottle of wine. And I'm still going to work. I'm able to take care of my kids. I'm doing a bare minimum. I started having a lot of issues with my um, my oldest daughter. I didn't really know how to respond to those things. So it was a lot of back and forth. Or just me being dismissive, you know, um, it had got to the point where as time went on, we did not have a relationship. She did not want to talk to me. Even when I knew it was things, I would try to talk to her, reach out to her. She had, it was always, I'm okay. Nothing's wrong. Time went on. I was still drinking heavily, barely keeping jobs back and forth with jobs. I definitely couldn't date anybody. That was out of the question. I did not want to be bothered. I did not have time for a mate at all because alcohol work, my kids and alcohol took place of everything. I met my husband in 2016 after everything got situated with my mom and my dad and the whole funeral situation. Um, My mom had came to move with me because she wasn't doing well. She had fell. She had got really sick. 
And she just, I didn't want her to go back home because no one was taking care of her. My brothers are out there, still out there in the streets with a lot of addiction issues. So I had a move with me, which was very hard. I met my husband and, um, I was still, I had got back to the point again where I was just drinking. I would drink like a pint and like a six pack every day. Working, taking care of my mom, going to school. I was still doing this. I, and it was just like, I had started having memory lapses, you know, like sometimes like when, um, people talk about things and I'm like, I don't remember that. You know, and it sometimes they're frustrated and I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just don't remember that. My mom ended up going to a nursing home, ended up getting rid of her home. Still a bunch of drama with my family. Me and my husband was still managing, but I was like, a, I was a tyrant at this point. You know, um, no one could deal with me. Everybody was trying to, but everybody started seeing like I was just going downhill. Um, and even if they would say certain things, I'd be like, you crazy. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm just depressed. So I had started studying to was witnessed again for, I think, the umpteenth time. And this time around, I knew something was wrong. And I'm like, I'm drinking too much. And if I really want to do this, um, thing that I really didn't want to do, I was people pleasing. I need to stop drinking for a while and get on my medication and get my life back together again. I had a blackout episode again. I did not go to the hospital. I just was like, okay, I can't drink and take medicine. I was just like, you know, I know I just can't do it anymore. So I went like six months without drinking. I got married. And um, on our wedding day, I was like, I think I'm going to have a glass of wine. One glass of wine turned into a fifth by the end of the night. And it was, I just kept drinking and kept drinking and it was just all bad. I had become verbally abusive to my spouse. Um, my kids, they were totally afraid of me. They didn't know whether I was coming or going. They really preferred to only deal with me if I was, had a drink or so. Not too much, but just enough, you know. Um, I had started doing outrageous like going out and staying all night. I not ugh, out all night at bars, like coming home at five o'clock in the morning. Now I have a husband, I have kids. He does not have kids. He's raising my kid. And it had got to the point where he was raising my kid. I did nothing for them. I was just working and paying the bills. And I, we didn't live together when we first got married. We ended up moving together finally in 2020. And I had got to the point where I couldn't go to work. I could not go to work. I mean, and I, I'm a nurse and I was making very good money because I'm a travel nurse. I could not go to work. So here we go again. I'm depressed. COVID, all that. I'm depressed. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. And so I was like, okay, I might be able to get up and go to work. I know mind you, I'm drinking from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed at this point. But I'm like, I'm depressed. I need to get myself together. I made an, I, uh, made an appointment to see a psychiatrist. I needed some medicine. And in the back of my mind, the plan is the system. If I need to call off work, I'm going to tell you I'm sick. I'm going to go to the doctor and fake sick because I need to cover myself. Because maybe I partied too much the night before, you know. So it was kind of one of those episodes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take medical leave of absence. And because it wasn't like um, I was a contract nurse, but I wasn't like bound to any facility, I can just do it. Um, it was wouldn't be paid leave, but it was, I could still keep my job. So I remember I had that set in stone and a couple of things happened. Um, while all of that was transpiring, I was waiting for the appointment. My best friend, I had was just contacting her and telling her crazy stuff. And then one day she told me, she was like, I can't do this with you anymore. I don't know what's wrong, but I don't want to be a part of it. And I was like, I was so angry, but I had became belligerent. But I accepted it. Um, so in my mind, though, I was like, dang, I don't have don't deal with my brothers. My mother's in a nursing home. I hadn't seen her 
since January because of COVID. I wasn't going to see her that much anyway. Um, and so like with my husband, I didn't feel like he was someone that I felt was a support for me, you know? And so I was just like, oh my goodness, I just felt so alone and deserted and I didn't know what to do. But I also remember drinking and like any other time, just not understanding why I could not drink. I wasn't getting drunk anymore. Um, not in a sense like of what I think when it had a few drinks, it was not glorious. I was not having fun. And I just remember sitting there because I was suicidal and I had been for some time. Will only talk about it if I was like totally out of my mind drunk, like just totally inebriated. And I would go through these crying spells and I would talk about it. And then the next day, wake up like it was nothing. I was just drunk, you know. But in the back of my mind, I was suicidal for about two years before I quit drinking. And I remember um, sitting there and I was just like, you know, I started saying to myself, if I can just not drink for one day, I would just stop. I wasn't sure I would stop completely because I had done it before for a few months. But I was like, if I could just not drink for one day. And so August 8th, my daughter came and it was late and she was looking at me. because I wasn't drinking. And she was like, mommy, you're not drinking. Why are you not drinking? I was like, oh, I don't know. I was just watching TV. I was like, but you know, go give me a cup. I'm having a drink. We watch movies. And I was like, um, I was in my mind. I'm like, maybe I don't have to drink tomorrow. And I was like, well, it is what it is. So I went to sleep and I woke up August 9th and I was like, I'm not drinking today. I had a half gallon of sitting next to me with a, a half of a 12 pack still sitting there. I told my husband, I said, you could take that. I don't want it. He didn't touch it. Another day went by. I told him you could take that. I don't want it. He didn't touch it. He was still drinking. He was still having his random drinks because he had started having, he had started um, drinking a lot to tolerate me and to keep up with me. So, um, August 12th, I had the appointment with the psychiatrist. I told her what was going on. I haven't had a drink in three days. That lady didn't, I didn't talk to this lady five minutes. She was like, oh, I can't do nothing for you. You need to go to detox. <laughs> and ended the, the session. Yeah. She, that's, that, I've heard that. I've had, I've had yeah. a psychiatrist tell me the same thing. They can't treat anybody until they get sober. I didn't, I detoxed at home on my couch. I was not leaving my babies because I remember I told you my mother was in and out the hospital. Um, I was not going to treatment because I was not leaving my kids. I did not even trust my husband to take care of my kids to, for me to be gone that long. Anyway, I did not drink. I was like, to hell with that lady. <laughs> I did not go to detox. I ended up just not drinking. I was just like, okay, I'm not drinking today. The fourth day, this alcohol was still sitting there. And I told my husband, I said, you can take that. I'm done. I was sick as a dog. I did not want to drink. <laughs> I, I wanted to die and I wasn't dying. So I was just like, I don't want that. And I'm not dying. So I'm going to keep doing this. And I was like, oh, I can't do this again. Because I didn't have like withdrawals the last few times. Like I, I was really sick. And um. Around my seventh day, I got up. I was um, making some soap because that's one of my hobbies. Um, I make soap. And that I have just happened to log on Facebook. I'm like, okay. But no, AA me is open because it was still in that major shutdown. Yep. That's right. God, you got sober place. during COVID. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, it was one place that was open, but I was so afraid to go outside. So I didn't go outside. Um. My husband went and got my cigarettes. He got my, my snacks and everything. I didn't go outside. And I remember I logged on to Facebook because I'm like, okay, maybe I can find something on Facebook. I am so grateful for Facebook because I ended up finding like Zoom meetings because I was like joining these AA related women's groups or whatever. And my it was um, August, what? August 9th, like the 17th or 18th, I found my first Zoom meeting. It was a 24-hour meeting called Lost and Found, which is still active. I sat on that meeting for seven hours all night, and I even chaired. I didn't know what I was doing. The guy told me what to do. I chaired. <laughs> it, was, it was so amazing. 
And like from that day, I just took off. My first sponsor was a temp sponsor. She was online from North Carolina. Um, I ended up in my second sponsor. In per- I went sp- the first day I went to in-person meeting, I ran into her. She was, in fact, a fa- she was a family member, a childhood friend. I don't associate with her no more, but I had grew up with her. We ran the streets together. Anything that was unsafe, me and her was into. This was her cousin. And in my mind, her cousin was that kind of drunk. <laughs> I don't know why I was still separating. And so when I seen her and I'm like, oh, my God, she's sober. If she can do it, I'm good. <laughs> so I um, I ran into her. I told her who I was. It took her a while to remember because it had been some time since I've seen her. But I told him, like, I'm, I'm so-and-so's friend. Um, we ended up talking. I was like, I think I want to try her out as a sponsor because, of course, she was that kind of drunk. I mean, out all night, peeing, and uh, it was just crazy. Yeah. She was just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she agreed. And it was weird because it was, at first, I think she thought that maybe she could have a sexual interest with me in the beginning. So she was trying to be my friend. Let's just say it didn't go well. She did sponsor me for some time and she, I'll tell anyone to this day, she is an excellent example of what a person in alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous is from going to meetings to the information to being in service. She is that, but she was attracted to me and that always took priority so it was it, like I say look back now sometimes it felt like we was in a relationship you know but she was very supportive so she sponsored me for some time I had started doing my fourth step she had me doing my fourth step I was four months sober at the time and so um as I was doing my fourth step one of my uh resentments was COVID and my fear was losing my mom and right after I completed the writing portion of my fourth step, I got a phone call that my mother had COVID. Yes. And so I was just like, okay, this is some, this is not cool. And I just remember she was just like, we're not going to kill her off. We just, we just go see how everything's going to happen. And this is before so like, we had vaccines, right? Yes, it was. Yep. Yes, it was. It's it was December really 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I remember a few days later, because I was talking to her and checking on her, you know, we was doing the virtual calls and everything. And so I remember, like, I found out she had COVID um, December 13th, like December 16th, they were calling me. They was like, your mom, she's not setting good. We had a video chat and she was like, I'm not feeling good. So I'm going to go to the hospital. She went to the hospital. I never spoke to her again. It was like, once she got in the hospital, because she still had like suicidal ideations, even though she was disabled. In her mind, she just wanted to die. My uh, dad had died. My stepdad had died. His friend had died. You know, um, she only had one living, two living siblings, one in a nursing home and one stayed out of town. So she just wanted to go anyway, but it just wasn't happening. So I didn't hear from her and I kept calling. I kept begging her. So I'm like, please. And they was like, we cannot do a video chat with her. She does not want to. And this was still coherent the first two days, two or three days. So she was in the hospital for some time and she was, she was holding on pretty good and we thought she was going to get better, but she didn't. She ended up declining. She passed away December 28th. Oh boy. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. She passed away. Um, so Time it was it's so crazy because people ask me questions and like how that experience went. And I tell them last time I see my mom physically, it was in January of 2020. We sat up, we talked, she fussed at me because I was just giving her all this drive about my husband. We was when I got sober, we was doing the, the video chatting, and then she ended up in the hospital. The last time I seen her, I was going to the hospital to go ahead and give him the okay to take her off the ventilator because she had she had got she down she went down so quick I didn't even have time to set her up for hospice uh so yeah that was the last time I um got to see her I did take like video I recorded it or whatever and I just gave him okay I got her cleaned up and set up because she was looking crazy and I set her up as if I would have done anyone else I just wanted her to I knew because she was dying like she was pretty much gone she was just taking her last few breaths but I could not stay so I got her situated she just looked like she was going to sleep. 
Um, like I said, that morning, I got the phone call. It was like, well, something in the morning. She had passed. I had just fell asleep. And so she passed away. That was really hard. And I just remember the whole time, even when she had the COVID, just when she was going through this process with COVID, just saying, I just don't want to drink. At that time, I was deeper to praying to God and those different things. Um, I believe it worked for that time. But I just believe it was the repetition of saying these things. And just, just, I just kept saying, as long as I don't drink, I know I'll be all right. You know, LaDonna, I can say the serenity prayer. I don't believe in God, but I can say the serenity prayer, and it kind of calms me down. It just, it's a nice yeah. little message I can tell myself. So, you yes. Know. Yeah. So I dealt with that. I got, I did the funeral arrangements and everything. Um, I kind of was like, okay, I want to go back to work. So I, I decided to go back to work a month later in May of 2021. My mother died when I was four months sober in May of 2021, where I was like maybe six, seven, eight months sober. I got into a car accident. It was a hit and run. Yeah, I got to a hit and run car accident. I drive a little Honda Fit and a big old U-Haul box truck ran into me. So um, I was able to get through that again. As long as I don't drink, I'm OK. In between that time, though, I had transitioned from the girl that was sponsoring me. I couldn't take it no more. She was, I mean, it, sometimes it felt like I was sponsored. It was just, it was a lot going on in that. And I just couldn't take it anymore. At this point, I'm like, this is too much. Um, so I ended up telling her I didn't want to be a sponsor, her to be my sponsor. I didn't have a sponsor, but it was this gentleman that has, was like a huge part of my sobriety. Like he was the one I went to. I call him my sensei. Because um, I did start taking a liking to the Buddhist philosophy, and he was an atheist Buddhist, so I was, I was constantly clinging to him. And I remember I went to him and I asked him. I said, "Can you help me find a, a sponsor?" Um, because he had he's been sober for thirty eight years at this point, and he was like, "No," and I'm like, "Why not?" Because I don't know anyone. You said my didn't have enough experience and it wasn't because of time he just knew that she wasn't ready and so I don't know anyone else to ask I trust you to connect me with someone that can sponsor me and he was like no and then I'm like well you can't sponsor me <laughs> and he was like no I can't sponsor you because I'm old and I'm getting ready to die was <laughs> hilarious <laughs> and so I was like well I don't know what I'm gonna do I was like well okay in my mind I'm like I'm done I guess I'll just figure out another way and do different things to, you know, maybe my therapy and do some more stuff because she's not going to be my sponsor. Right. <laughs> so I was kind of like done with AA. And so during the conversation, when I was like, he was like, well, yeah, because I'm old. Look at me, just, just nitpicking me. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need a sponsor. You can't, I'm only, you know, eight months in. And this was right before the accident. And he was like, I've been sponsoring you since I met you. Aww. And I was like, so what does that mean? And he was like, I just sponsor you. What else do you want me to do? I so love I it. have a male sponsor. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I get a lot of, I, you know, I get a lot of slack from that. Oh, yeah. Bad. Well, when I do go to the meetings, if yeah. I mention it, it's it's all bad. He sounds it's great, though. Bad. I love that. I've been sponsoring you all this time. <laughs> he is he is a force to be reckoned with. And he is an example. He has a lot of information. He's pretty like definitely a historian. And it's so crazy because even though he's an atheist, he he still does traditional AA. He still does. Um, he's been in the program around. In, well, in the program for 50 years. Um, but of course, he relapsed and came back. So you. And, and he's the kind of, he's totally different. Like he'll fuss at me if I don't call him, but he tells me all the time, I know that you're okay if I don't hear from you. You know, he doesn't expect me to call him every day, all day. Um, at this point, I don't really go to meetings. I go to them sparingly. I prefer secular meetings. I don't have that many in my local area. So how I even found you and it was Zoom. 
I was started in a lot of secular meetings and going to different websites because the first time I went to a secular meeting, it was a lady talking about the universe and stars and cats and dogs. And I thought it was crazy. I did not <laughs> you never, you're gonna, you never know what you're going to hear in an AA meeting. You always hear some crazy <laughs> yes. shit. <laughs> yes, yes, some straight crazy nonsense. But I did not have to hear about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I did not have to hear key because at uh, by the time I had got with my new sponsor, I had I knew I was agnostic. I just kind of was just like, I know I'm agnostic. I know I take a liking to Buddhism. That was what I had began to practice. That's what I still practice. Um, and th- there's a lot of people he, that do, a lot of secular people that do. Yes, yes. I also. So now I still do secular meetings a lot online. The few that's here local, all, the one group, all they do is complain about traditional AA. I've heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, sometimes I still go to traditional meetings here and there. Um, I, I'll do the serenity prayer, but I'm usually up trying to get out the door. You know what? I do too. I have actually been to more traditional meetings than secular meetings here lately. Really? Yeah, but I get up out of there when it's time for them to do the Lord's Prayer. Or I'll just stand. Yeah, I don't. I just I'm doing them online. So and actually, the meetings I've gone to, they haven't been doing the Lord's Prayer. They've just been doing the Serenity oh, cool. Prayer. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. No, they're they're gung ho here in Cleveland. Ohio. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's Bob. <laughs> that's a Doctor Bob country. Yes, it is, and they are. They can be something else. Um. So a lot of the reason I don't go to traditional meetings as much is because I do have a male sponsor. And these these church school women in Cleveland, they they are not feeling that. Yeah, but he's an old guy. <laughs> he sounds like a great sponsor. <laughs> no, that, yeah. You know, it's not like yeah. some hard and fast rule. You can have a man's. It's I mean, not. <laughs> it's not. And and that was another thing. I started learning AA history, and I think sometimes I say it's crazy that I have a sponsor I have because I know too much. So I don't, I don't feel like I got the experience like with other people with two years. They're like gung ho. Like all my friends, they're still going to meetings. They're still saying all this stuff. And I'm like, that's a bunch of bullshit. But I can't tell them that <laughs> because I know too much. And that was always the problem from the beginning of my sobriety. And that's why I said I had to separate myself. I know that I, my journey is not going to be similar to other people. And it's not just the agnostic thing. It's because I wanted I wanted to know who Bill was. I wanted to know who Bob was. So I just I kept researching and buying books, and buying books. And I'm such a literal person. A lot of these things are not by the book, and so I combat it. And then I get in trouble with these women or other people. And I, you know, I'll just stay in my lane. Good for you. So tell me so. about the YouTube channel. What got you interested in starting that? So I, I journaled through my sobriety. Uh, um, I have a therapist. Um, I have a psych nurse. I am officially bipolar. I have ADHD. And of course, I have anxiety and PTSD. I have all those things in one. Um, and so I journaled a lot. And I remember talking to my therapist. I love YouTube. I found I like a lot of great channels. You were one of them. I have uh, some other pe- uh, people I follow. And I really love you guys. So what happened was I was joking one day with my therapist because I had fell off from um, journaling and it was just a lot going on and I couldn't really balance myself. And she's, she kept saying, you should write a book. All right. <laughs> you you yeah, should. Because, you got a hell of a story. Yes. Yeah. And everybody says that she keeps saying I should write a book. So I was joking with her because I found out, you know, about the lives and different things. Cause I didn't know that, um, aspect of YouTube until late 2020 when I was looking up something and fell upon some sectors or whatever. I'm not going to go there because YouTube is a rabbit hole and it can be really bad. So I was telling her about that and I was joking with her. I was like, maybe I'll start a YouTube channel. And she was like, you know what? Do it. But she wanted me to prepare. She wanted me to research. And she's like, don't do it right now because she know how I am. She know if you tell me the sky was purple yesterday, I'm going to research that because I wouldn't know what happened. And so it just kind of, at first, I because I was using this page as an alternate page to talk in the chats, I didn't want it to be connected with my name email. So, um, because that was life and we got trolls and I did not want, I can't do it. You know, I'm a nurse, my husband's a fireman. I, I can't do that. So I kind of started playing around and doing little videos here and there, but I didn't take it serious. 
me and my therapist was going back and forth about it. And then one day I just told him, like, I just started, I just went ahead and started my channel. I changed my name because initially my name was something different. But it really wasn't anything that I think would catch anyone's eye because most people, you need a name that's more personable. Even if you're not using your first and last name totally, like Don, the Don did it for real. When I started telling people my story, they're like, oh, she really did do that, you know? Um, so I changed my name and I kind of just started doing lives. Um, and I started it like in the winter time, but I really wasn't serious until around the summertime when I had started going to school, I kind of started doing more, um, lives and mini videos here and there. And I started enjoying it. I started feeling good. Even if I only had one person in my chat or nobody was ended up being a video, I was getting a few views here and there. My shorts, I like doing the shorts and just putting out those inspirational things with a nice song that kind of go with the topic of what I'm um, posting. Um, and so it was kind of just like a way to vlog. It's, it's, this is, it's how I journal, but I, it's interactive and I get to talk to people and, and touch people's lives or even just have fun and laugh because I know I've listened very- I've listened to some of them and it's just, it's just a conversation you're having you're just you're just sitting there talking about what's going on in, in your yes, life and, yes yeah. yes I had to go back because I started to get some followers um that I was I had to go back though and I did so if you see on my page now some of my videos that may have more vulgarity or or whatever I did put explicit content and I make sure none of my videos are made for kids because when I'm doing my live having a conversation for the first time. I last, not the last one, but the second to last live, I actually had someone on my panel for the first time. Um, and that was really funny. He had a lot of questions too. The gentleman had a lot of questions and he was like, I hope I'm not being too personal. I said, when it comes to recovery, I, I've told people some, like my whole life story. So not, like, if I can tell you, say, marriage has been rocky because of certain things, that's helping someone that's helping someone who may, still be struggling or that's, you know, early sobriety or late sobriety and they're going through some things to hear somebody say, no, I'm going through this. Oh, no, I experienced. Um, so that's like one of the things I try to keep on my channel. Um, it, I'm still building of course, but that was like, it's just, I'm a blogger and I'm just telling people what's going on and just being honest, you know, as, as honest as I can be, without breaking anyone's anonymity or, you know, just putting out too much out there. Um, there are a thing- lot of great recovery channels on YouTube, aren't there? I, I mean, I've, I've watched quite a few of them and I'm, I just think it's great. And what's so cool about it is there's, um, there's a lot of diversity, I guess. And it's not like pigeonholed and like, like AA type stuff. It was just, it's just people talking about their own individual experiences. It's not like follow this path or anything like that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's what um, I when I was working and I was doing home care um, because I'm sober, like the type of music I listen to changed. And I noticed that I started drifting from traditional meetings, but I still wanted to make sure that I was, you know, still doing something recovery related. That's where your channel. Um, well, actually, I found you on Spotify and I was listening to you every day. Every was at work. Sometimes the whole shift, or I would listen to at least one podcast. You have so many people that has been on, and I've like bought books based on people I've listened to. Um, so, like using your um, platform and listening to you has definitely been a help. Doing the secular meetings through the secular worldwide um, website that helps. Um, being a Buddhist, I did get into. Um, Rekarma, Rekarma, Dharma recovery, recovery Dharma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always mix it up because I wasn't always his name. I do like that. I love it. I read the book. I try to go to as many meetings as I can with that. I still try to make sure everything is recovery related, although I'm not actively going to traditional AA meetings. So that's my goal. And that's another thing with my channel that I think helps me too, is because there are times when I'm feeling crazy and I'll just get on and just start talking. You know, so um, I think that's the important part of my channel. But I also make sure I give information. And sometimes I feel like I'm just constantly repeating myself. 
because I always make sure I talk about sobriety and, and mental health. It's not a stigma. You can get help and no one has to know. You can go to a meeting and my name is LaDawn. I can tell them my name is Teresa and <laughs> I'll be Teresa. I can do, you know, speaker talks. Um, there's some places call them these, some people, places call them speakers. I can do that. My name can be Teresa. I can even be sponsored by, under Teresa. And people are like, that's no. I'm like, yes. If I choose <laughs> to be Teresa, I'm Teresa. Hey, that's an anonymity, right? Yes. And so I make sure I, I touch bases on that in every video, as well as telling them about mental health. I also, I don't know if you've seen in my description, which is extremely long, I put um, links to the mental health, um, what is it, Sounds High? CDC, AANA. I make sure I share that in every in my description, every video. Um, um, I was listening to the gentleman, uh, the one gentleman. I think his name was Michael, and I got the number for the nine eight eight. So I put, yeah. So I put that in my description. Um, I links. I have links to your channel, some other channels that I like to watch. So I make sure I share the information. It's just not me on there talking about me. I make sure I put that information out as well for anyone who may I've need seen it. That. And not that's me. really nice. Yes. Thank you. So that's another part is to make sure that I am at some point helping someone. Right. And I think you are. And thank you so thank much you. for coming on uh, this, this no podcast. It's been, it's been so nice to hear your story and to get to know you. Um, and I'm looking forward to following you and getting to know you better over the months and the years. I find it really interesting. I, maybe some other time we should talk about this, that, you know, you, you, your, um, your resentment was COVID and you're a nurse working during COVID and your mother died yes. during COVID. And I can totally understand that. And you're probably still dealing with it to a certain extent, aren't you? Yes. Um, yes. You know what I, I did the first year after my mom died, I was really numb. I was on this huge accept that I accepted. I'm not in control of her life. She was a gift. I went through all these things and I kept it positive. Until it wasn't positive no more. So when that that first year after that that December came again, I crashed, and so I knew it. I I knew it. Everyone knew it. My job knew it. I took vacation time, and I started going to. I did a couple of sessions of um, grief therapy. Well, grief groups. I did that. Um, I got a couple of books. I read those. I still make sure I listen to your stuff and other grief. Like I'm telling you, I use YouTube and I want to say this. I use YouTube as a huge tool for self-help when nobody else is around. When I couldn't get the answers, YouTube was right there. <laughs> I do too. So, I'm a big fan of YouTube. <laughs> I'm on, yes, I'm on it yes. all the time. I use it for yes, everything. Yes, it's um, it's so entertaining, but it can be so helpful. Yeah, as long as you're not clicking the wrong thing. Right. Be careful what you click on, because then that's all you ever yeah. see. That's all they ever show. Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. The algorithms is tricky. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. So dealing with her death was very hard once it finally kicked in. For the first time recently, I was able to say I am a victim of COVID because I said it in the past. And I'm like, no, I'm not. It is what it is. I had got to the space where I'm just totally accepting it. It was kind of false, but it comforted me to understand that I wasn't in control, you know. But I also um, closed out anything I was feeling. Now I go through it. It's not as bad. Like her birthday was July 13th. I was kind of in a funk. It wasn't too bad. I kind of just made sure I talked to my best friend a lot and was doing stuff with the family. But looking at it now, it can be it can be rough at times. Like I get angry, not so much as at um, COVID or anything. It's more so at myself because I look back at all those times, especially that she had been in a nursing home for like maybe five years. And I left her alone a lot. But I had resentments about her being in a nursing home. You know, I was angry at her because I felt like she let herself go. So I have I have to go back and process those things. And then thinking about COVID, I still have to remind myself, even though I feel the feelings that I'm not in control. Um, I am grateful, though, which I had a hard time accepting because one of the biggest things is that she hasn't been here on this journey with me. And usually that is the part that hurts the most. 
besides me beating myself up about the past. But that hurts the most. She got to see me up to four months. She told me she was proud of me. I was able to kind of say I was sorry for the things I, you know, did. But I was still trying to be cautious because you can't do that till you do this step and this process. And I did it anyway because I'm defiant. And it's right. You know, I couldn't help it. And she just kept telling me she was so proud of me. And I have to remind myself of that a lot of times that she she did get to see some part. But I can't tell you, like last year on August 9th, it was hard. I was just so hurt because I couldn't have this experience with her. And it was the same this year. But I had something else going on. So it kind of trumped that because I quit smoking cigarettes yesterday. Oh, good for you. Wow. Yes. Thank you. So that was. um, Oh, my God. That's tough. That's really tough. Are you using uh, Nicorette or anything like that? I'm using a patch and I am chewing a lot of gum. Um, family, my kids, they've been getting on my nerves a little bit, but I kind of tell them like, listen, it, I got to go through this. <laughs> just give me some time. And once I cool down and, and kind of just say the serenity prayer or something, I'm okay. But yeah, that I think that's the hard part that she didn't see. She didn't get to see me do my first lead meeting, um, which was terrible. Oh my God. She didn't get to see it. Um, and then just the the, the transition, transition from, you know, just growing in sobriety. Um, but I know it's okay. You know, I'm not going to sit up and say, oh, I know she's up there looking at me because I don't do that. It's okay. So that's kind of where I stand. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.